0: Oh, the fourth and fifth graders. I was just so thinking about God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and I forgot about what comes next. Sorry. For the fifth graders, you can go ahead and go out with Miss Jessica, but they already know that. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, fourth and fifth graders. Can go out? I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We can talk about that today at home. Okay, on our drive home. We'll Uh, talk about what went wrong. All right, that's fine. Yeah, sounds good. If if you would, uh, open up your Bible to Galatians. We are in uh, Galatians. Galatians is in the New Testament. And you might know this, you might not, but testament is just a word for covenant. Okay, And so Old Testament is Old Covenant, and then New Testament is New Covenant. Old covenants that God made, old promises that God made with his people. New covenant, new promise underneath the blood of Jesus Christ. So New Testament starts out with the book of Matthew Because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are the four gospel accounts. Tell us the story about Jesus, who he was, uh, what he did on earth, why it's so important. Then you move into Acts, and that's Jesus ascends to the right hand of God after his death and resurrection. He's still there ruling and reigning now to this day. Shows how his church has formulated and functioned uh, in the early days. And then you get into these letters, okay? And so you'll see like First and Second Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and all those other things. And it shows uh, these instructions from the apostles, okay, these sent ones from God on how the church should function. And so Galatians is a letter written to the church of uh, Galatia, which is a region of churches that is in modern-day Turkey. And so the Apostle Paul, one who persecuted the church, uh, now wants to populate the church because he met Jesus on this road to Damascus. And Jesus essentially looks at him, the resurrected uh, Prince of Peace, glory to God in the highest, okay? looks at... Paul whose name was also Saul and he says why are you persecuting me why are you pushing against me and he's got no excuse I mean if a dead guy who rose from the dead looked at you and said hey what are you doing Uh, you'd probably be like I don't know I'm questioning everything now and uh, so he does he says um, you know uh, I don't have a good excuse and so he accepts Jesus as the resurrected Messiah now the funny thing is we think that Paul after he comes to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior um, just automatically starts to populate the church but that's not true Paul actually spends three years in a place called Arabia. And Paul is a Pharisee. He is a very smart individual. He knows the Old Testament like the back of his hand. We oftentimes think that like, uh, they had Bibles back then. And they didn't. They had scrolls. Okay? And so Paul, uh, he would have known the Bible. And his Bible would have been Genesis through the last minor prophet. Okay? And he would have understood those uh, to, to a memorized state. He would have been able to recall those verses. He was the chief Pharisee. He could have uh, recited that scripture just like that. And so Paul, okay, goes to Arabia for three years and he essentially starts to understand how Jesus fits in this Old Testament covenant promise. He starts to understand, oh, this is where the prophets were talking about this Messiah, this Jesus. And so Romans, the letter of Romans written to Rome, uh, the converts in Rome, the people who had confessed with their mouth and believed in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that letter that was written to Rome is fascinating because it's Paul's exhortation of what he knows to be true from those three years, seeing where Jesus fits into the Old Testament. So if you ever wonder how Jesus fits into that old promise, go read Romans. It's a fascinating uh, endeavor from Paul that just starts to say, this is what we know about God and his promise is true. He sent Jesus Christ, his one and only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And it's not just a promise for the Jewish people. It was a promise for the Gentiles too as well. And if your mom wasn't Jewish, guess what? You're a Gentile, okay? So there's a lot of Gentiles who are gathered here today. We have uh, one individual who's very near and dear to my heart. They're a Jew, and every time I bring this up, they're like, hey, I'm Jewish. And I'm like, by birth you are, right? Okay? Uh, but in regards to coming underneath... Right? Uh, in coming underneath the blood of Jesus... Uh, we're all children of God if we have confessed with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so Paul is going to walk us through today, essentially, um, the difference between a blessed road and a cursed road. Robert Frost wrote a poem one time called The Road Less Traveled, and uh, he said two roads diverged in a yellow wood. He said one of those roads uh, was less traveled by, uh, but it made all the difference. And in studying for this message, what I thought about, uh, which is really interesting, is Jesus talks about two paths, doesn't he? He says, uh, narrow is the gate which people come on. And so there's two roads that we need to look at and uncover and unpack today. One road is a cursed road, and one road is a blessed road. Now, let's just, I'm going to be like a magician this morning, okay? I'm going to show you how the trick is done so that you can understand it and then you can walk uh, on it. So here's, here's how, and it's not a trick. I'm not, like, I'm not like tricking you by any means, okay? You study the Bible and see for yourself and you'll come to find that Jesus really is who he says he is. He, he did exactly what he said he was going to do and he's going to do it again. So Jesus didn't just come once. He's going to come again. And he's going to come soon. And, and while well, that feels like we're kids in the back of a van, right, waiting for dad to be like, when are we going to get there? And he says, soon, it feels like it's going to be an eternity, but we know it's in a blink of an eye. All right? So he's going to come and do what he said he was going to do. And so uh, what, what, what we need to understand and unpack before we look at this passage in Galatians is the cursed road is simply the road that people take outside of a relationship with God. It is the rejection of Jesus Christ as Messiah, as Lord and Savior. That's the cursed road, okay? The blessed road is the road that we travel when we come to a relationship with God through faith in Christ. So there it is. It's on the table. That's the sermon. If I get boring in the next couple of minutes and you're like, I got it, I got the point, I want to go to lunch, that's between you and Jesus, all right? Um, but curse be you who does it. Okay, anyway. Um, so that's, that's it. Now, here's the crazy thing, all right? I know that so many of you who are gathered here today, maybe you're listening out online, I know so many of you today have come to a relationship with God through faith in Christ, Okay, I know that you've done that. You've confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you're walking down a blessed path. But here's the problem for us as believers today in Jesus. We look at the cursed road so often and we think to ourselves, maybe that was a better way. Like, you're probably not going to say this out loud. But there are times in our relationship with God through faith in Christ that we look at the road that we're traveling with Jesus and we think, this is so difficult. This is so hard. Did I really choose the right road? that really choose the right path. And so Paul is going to break down for us, essentially, validation. He's going to give, essentially, I want to show you uh, why uh, taking the righteous road, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, is worth it. But if you did take the righteous road, what's so bad about the cursed road? Okay, And and why you shouldn't uh, divert your eyes back to this path. Okay, So that's our whole goal today. So let's look at Galatians chapter 3. Verse 10, and if this is your first Sunday, you're good. We've been studying Galatians for a while. If you want to go back and pick up where we have been, uh, by all means, communitygospelchurch.com. You can click on media, and all of those messages are there for you. We're going to look at verse 10. The righteous shall live by faith is the heading. In my Bible, I preach out the ESV version of the Bible. If you have NIV, things like that, you're good. As long as you're not reading out of the message, we're good, all right? And I'll unpack that some other day, but... I, I digress. Okay, verse 10. For all, and this is Paul writing to the church of Galatia, the believers, Gentiles, um, for all who rely on works of the law are underneath a curse. And he quotes the Old Testament from memory. Okay, that's important. Curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And so what Paul, first of all, is going to tell us, number one, on why take the righteous road is because one road is truly cursed, all right? There is a path that people are walking on, secular society, they're looking at this and they're saying, hey, we think that this is the way, and multiple people take this path. Now, if you've been with us for a while and you're studying Galatians, we know that the Galatians' opposition is from a group called the Judaizers, Now, if this is your first Sunday, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. A Judaizer was somebody who essentially knew the Old Testament very well. And what happened was these Jews who knew the Testament very well thought that they had to do the things of the law to be righteous in the eyes of God. And so all of these Gentile, uh, quote-unquote, Christians were coming to know God through faith in Christ, and they were abandoning the works of the law. Okay, so it's, they just essentially said, hey, we don't have to follow anything that you tell us. We don't have to do what you want us to do. It's like a little kid who looks at somebody who tells them what to do at church, and they look at them and say, you're not my mom and dad. Okay? And then if, you, if you've been here for a while and you dedicated your kids, you're like, yeah, but I told your mom and dad to hold you accountable, that I would hold them accountable, and they're obviously not doing a real good job. So, you know, this is the problem. And that's exactly what the Judaizers are doing. They're essentially looking at these little kids and they're saying, hey, you have to follow the law. If you want to be right with God, if you want to mature in your relationship with God, you need to do these specific things. So when Paul says all who rely on the works of the law, he's speaking to Judaizers who were trying to work for their salvation. They were trying to have performance that gave them good standing before God. All right? They were like a carpenter who started with the roof when building a house. And it's foolish. And Paul says this over and over again. He says, it's foolish for us to have to work to God. If we were to work to God, how would we know when we've done enough? Is there some magical scoreboard in the sky that shows us when our works have, you know, kind of gotten us to this place? Now, circle in your Bible if you want to, if, if you can. Maybe it's not your Bible. I don't know. Um, help somebody else out. You could circle the word cursed, okay? Cursed is extremely important. Cursed is simply this. Cursed, defined, is anybody who chooses to reject Jesus Christ as Savior and says, I don't want to be in a relationship with God through faith in Christ. That man, that woman is cursed, okay? So when Paul unpacks curse, he is unpacking Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26. Cursing is the opposite of blessing, Okay, And if we look at this passage of Scripture, since the law is perfect and holy, so some of us would look at it and we would say, well, hold on, Pastor Jordan. Why was the Old Testament law given then? Like, why do we have it? Why do we have this Old Testament text then? Why do I have to study it? Two reasons. Number one, the Old Testament law was given so that you would see just how much of a sinner you really truly were. But it was also given so that you could see just how great God is. For as much as man falls short of the laws of God... Jesus, in all of his perfectedness, fulfills all of that law. He does exactly what we can't do ourselves. And so the law is given for two reasons. Number one, to show us how far we've fallen, but show how good God is. In the Old Testament, there's over 600 laws that Jews had to keep to be right in the eyes of God. And God gave them these laws so they would see their fallen state and say, God, we need your help. We need you to come and redeem us. We need something else because the law is not working. There's something about the law that constantly shows us that we are condemned. And it's why Paul, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, says, If you are in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation, meaning there's no curse for us who are in Christ. So our identity, first and foremost, has to come from the fact that we know that Christ came, died, rose again, and in a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm not cursed. I'm not condemned. There's no sin that I've done that God looks at and he says, I can't forgive that. We come to a relationship with God through faith in Christ and our identity is in that. We need to get up in the morning. We need to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, I'm a child of God, the most high king who loves me, who protects me, who takes care of me, and who sees me as a son and a daughter. And so everyone has broken the law, and so everyone is cursed. But through faith in Christ, we see that we have the opportunity to not be cursed. And anybody who rejects Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Paul says in previous passages, you are foolish. Now, in the Greek word for foolish, you're stupid. You're a moron, okay? Insert your keyword there, all right? That's what Paul says. John Calvin, I think, says it so good old uh, church father, he says, law holds all men under a curse. And when it says law, we're simply talking about works. From the law, therefore, it is useless to seek a blessing. Think about this in regards to your kids, right? For those of us who have kids, it is as if your kids would work to earn your favor. Now, some of us as parents, we would say, that would be amazing, If only, right, if only your kid would come downstairs and say, I cleaned my room, I did the dishes, I did all the things you wanted me to do. Did you want me to rub your back? What do you need from me, Father? Those are my prayers, not your prayers, okay? (laughs) There's nothing that our children would do that we would say, no, I don't love you more because of those things, but I'm so glad you did those because you're my child. You should just do those things because you're in our family. Vice versa is true, too. We look at our kids and we say, Dad, I ransacked my room and I, I, I destroyed everything, right? I ruined my life. And we say, well, I hate you. for it. No, we wouldn't do that. How many parents sit with their kids on the opposite end of a jail cell and say, I love you. I've always loved you. I just want what's best for you. You're choosing a road that is not righteous by your choices. So either you're going to worship God with all you think, say, or do, or you're going to find yourself cursed because you're going the opposite direction. Now, when we hear the word curse, we think of witches and all this other stuff, Harry Potter stuff, all that crazy stuff. And it's, it's, it's one thing to think about that. But here's what I want you to really wrap your mind around. The word cursed at the core is not being in right standing with God. And you need to see your coworkers and the people who are in your everyday life If they don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're cursed. And do we have compassion on the cursed? Because that's what Jesus did. He came and had compassion and he served them so that they could see how blessed they really truly would be if they came to a relationship with God. God is the one person we don't want to be cursed by. He says, I want you to stop wandering down the works of the law. And for those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, I want you to stop putting your eyes on the things of this world. Because that road is cursed. Instead, Galatians 5, verse 16, I want you to walk in the Spirit. Okay, so Paul tells us the first reason that we uh, take the righteous road is because one road is cursed. Now go to verse 11. Now, it's evident, and he's already shown this, he's kind of unpacked this for us, that no one is justified before God by the law. In other words, he's saying, you know that we can't work for this. For the righteous shall live by faith. Now notice how fast Paul rattles Scripture. And it's not Scripture that he's looking up. He's not going to the scrolls. He's not opening up the scrolls. He's not taking time. He knows them off the top of his head. He is, as Peter says, always prepared to give an answer for the hope that he has in Jesus Christ. Do you have the ability to rattle off Scripture When somebody asks you why you believe what you believe, Paul was a student of the Word. He constantly uses Scripture, and he quotes, the righteous shall live by faith. Probably one of those verses that people put in their homes, and maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't, okay? Well, let's see if we can figure that out, right? You're like, well, hold on, don't mess with my decor, Jordan. All right, well, I'm going to, all right? Messing with everything today. He says, the reason that you should take the righteous road is because the righteous road constantly gives you hope and assurance. When you're walking with Jesus, you could go through trials, you could go through tribulations, you could go through all these things, but you'll know on the road that is marked with suffering, which we talked about last week, there is hope for those in Jesus Christ. So Paul keeps making his point, if you want to make this note in your Bible, he's quoting Habakkuk 2.4, that the just shall live by faith and not the law. Isn't it amazing That even in the Old Testament, whether it be through Abraham in the passages we preached last week, or in Habakkuk, God constantly turns to us to have faith. He constantly shows us that we have to have faith. In the Old Testament, it was faith in the Messiah to come. In the New Testament, it's faith in the Messiah who came. Now, I want you to really make a, a, a proper connection here. There's an Old Testament and New Testament connection that we could miss if we don't see it. When he says the righteous shall live by faith, it is found in those Old Testament prophets, and Paul is preaching a gospel to the New Testament Gentiles, but at the same time, he is determined to help his Old Testament Jewish friends. What are are we getting at here? He doesn't abandon God's children who are wandering down a foreign path in striving to get people to come to know Christ. What does that mean for us? Proper connotation. So oftentimes, we abandon the wandering believer. Are you tracking? In hopes to get the new convert to come to Christ. When in reality, we could do the same. You in your workplace, me in my workplace, me in my home, we have to understand the importance of being balanced. So if we have two kids, and one is wandering, Right? and the other one still hasn't found the path, we have an opportunity and an obligation to be balanced in our approach to help the wandering come back on the right path, to help that who has never entered the path on the path as well. You cannot abandon people in your pursuit to make Christ known near and far. And I know that's a hard concept to wrap your mind around because more is caught than taught. So you're showing people what is important every single day, by what you endeavor to do. And in our endeavors with Jesus Christ, whether we're a trash man, whether we're a police officer, whether we're a pastor, it doesn't matter what we do, whether we're a stay-at-home mom or dad, it doesn't matter. All our endeavors with anybody who we come in contact with has to be both evangelism and edification at the same time bringing people underneath the right relationship with God, but at the same time also making sure that the mature are understanding what it means to mature in Jesus Christ. Paul's saying here the righteous road gives us hope regardless of where we're at in our life because it demands that we trust in the faithfulness of God. The righteous road demands constant belief that no matter what comes up, God will provide and it validates our faith. It is what we talked about last week. That Jesus is our anchor in the storm. And being our anchor into the storm, we run to those storms. And we say, yes, I want to be in those storms. Because then I can see lost people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but I can see also people bringing them into as well to mature in their own relationship with God. Now, this is a concept I can't communicate to you if you don't know Jesus. It won't make a whole lot of sense. So my prayer for the past uh, week has just been, man, that God would illuminate this on your heart. Thomas Aquinas kind of alludes to it a little bit, but he says, to one who has faith, you don't have to explain anything. All right? But to one without faith, no explanation is possible. And so it demands faith. It demands faith. Now, here's what would have popped up. (laughs) And I'm just going to pause for a second if you're raising kids, okay? This is kind of like a commercial, all right, Pause in the sermon, and we're going to have a little commercial here for those of you raising kids, because the Galatians would have asked a great question right here. They would have, Paul, you're preaching, you're doing great, man. We appreciate you, <laughs> which is so funny to me. But anyway, he says, they say, but what do, we, what do we do with our kids? Because we have laws and rules in our house, amen? We have things you're not allowed to do, and we have things that you are allowed to do. Do we just let our kids live by grace? Is that how that works? Oh, boy. Let me just read this to you real quick, okay? The question is, how can parents teach children grace when raising kids involves rules and laws? Do's and don'ts, first and foremost, mom and dad, are essential to teaching your kids self-discipline. It's also essential to keeping them safe. You need to have right and wrong. And here's the deal. In our society, there's a definite right and wrong. Okay, there's a bunch of grown-up kids walking around in our society that weren't told right from wrong. All right, so there's a standard. It's in the book. All right, put it into practice. Enough said. Law has an important function in teaching our kids right from wrong. There's definite rights. There's definite wrongs. However, long before children can actually understand the difference between rules and grace as concepts... Children should be experiencing God's love, grace, and love for them in the home. Okay? So yes, while there's standards that children need to operate under in the home, we also understand that there is grace for failure to achieve those standards. This is how it's lived out in the muck house. My kids come home, Dad, I got a C on my spelling test. The answer is, was that your best? No. Appreciate the honesty. Okay, So what are we going to do next time? I'm going to strive to do my best. Okay, good. That's grace. I don't send them to their room, and I don't look at them and go, until you get A's on every single spelling test, all right, you're banished from the refrigerator. We just don't do that. <laughs> so at some point, we have to explain to our kids that rule keeping doesn't earn parental love. And if it does in your home, shame on you. Nor does rule-breaking mean parents withdraw love. Okay? When your kids make mistakes, because they will. All right? We should be gracious in our approach to them. But at the same time, understanding there's consequences for sin, too, at the same time. At the point when children understand this, we have communicated grace. So my prayer for you guys as you're raising parents right now is understand there are rules, there's right and wrongs that need to happen in your house. There's times when you're going to have to practice tough love with your kids. You're going to have to look at them and you have to say, no, it's not the way it goes, okay? But there's also times when you need to have grace. And this is where your prayer for discernment should be through the roof. Okay? All right, commercial's over. All right. Uh, verse 12. <clears throat> so, but... The law works, every time you see the law, just think works, okay? Is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Now this is an extremely hard passage, but here's essentially what Paul is saying. Why should I take the righteous road? Because one road's cursed, one road gives hope, one road, going back to the cursed road, will continue to push this thing called the law. The natural response of the Galatian believers, and I love it, because they're so elementary in their faith. This is what they would have done. Okay, Paul, we understand. Here's what we're going to do. Ready? We're going to trust Jesus Christ through faith alone, and then we're going to work for it. Because that way you get what you want, and then they get what they want, right? This is called appeasement. So they're appeasing. They're saying, we can make you happy, but we can also make them happy. And Paul says, no, 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 you can't do that. I was reminded of the, the movie Radio. Have you ever seen Radio? It's about a, handicapped, uh, a kid who's handicapped, and he, um, they take him to a restaurant, and they say, Radio, do you want peach pie or apple pie? You know what he says? I want both. <laughs> it just makes sense. And that's what they're doing. They're saying, I just want both. Why can't we do both? Paul, it's amazing. We can make you happy, and we can make the world happy. Do you do that? They say, oh, Jesus, I'll make you happy, but I'll also make my friends happy. Isn't it? Something that we can just do both is a good question. And here, what Paul says is, no. (laughs) You can't take both roads. Why? Because they contradict each other. The law's point was simply to show how fallen humanity is sinners and how perfect God stands as holy. The law, Paul says, is not faith. It simply means the law doesn't find its origin in faith but of works. So Paul says to us, you can only take one road. Now, walk with the text here. Paul has quoted Deuteronomy 27. Paul has quoted Habakkuk 2.4. And then now Paul is quoting Leviticus 18 verse 5. And what he's saying is perfect obedience of law is acceptable to God. And since we cannot do what we're cursed to do, if we choose to live under the Old Testament law, then we must live by it perfectly, which is impossible. So we cannot comply fully with the law. Then we must go completely under grace, relying on the cross of Christ. And all of you are confused. And you're like, could you summarize that? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. How about Romans 10? What are you saying? What Paul's saying to us today is the same thing he said to the Galatians is the same thing he said to the Romans. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness sought to establish their own righteousness. Do you do that? And in the seeking of obtaining our own righteousness we we fail to submit to the righteousness of God under grace. For Christ is the end of the law for the righteous To who? Everyone who believes in faith. That my sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven underneath the cross of Christ. And it's amazing to the Romans, he says, For Moses, the Mosaic law, the Mosaic covenant, the Mosaic promise, it writes about the righteousness which is of the law, that the man who does those things shall live by them. And what Paul's essentially saying is, he's saying, listen guys, you have to understand this, that God puts all those who try to fulfill the law through works under a curse, and it's because you're trying to get to God, and you can't get to God. God had to come to you. And either you will live in deliberate disobedience, continuing to go your own way, or you will submit to Christ, and he will put you back on the right path. Someone once said it like this, they said, the law is a schoolmaster, It just points us to one perfect person. Jesus fulfilled the demands of the law on our behalf. He died to pay the price for our sins, and then he rose again to conquer the penalty so he could give us his perfect life, his perfect path, via the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The only reason Christ could become a sin substitute for mankind was because he fulfilled every aspect of the law perfectly so we could be pronounced righteous before the Father and stand guiltless before the demands of the law. That's the gospel. Many believers, though, for whatever reason, we still think that we can take both roads. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? Is it for uh, the, the applause of your friends? They're not righteous anyway. Is it for your boss's (laughs) approval? He doesn't like you anyway. I mean, it's just amazing to me of why we seek so hard to, to have the applause of man when the applause of God is right in front of our face. Matthew chapter six, he says, Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. Why? For either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and he'll despise the other one. And so Paul says it's foolish to achieve righteousness that's already been purchased for you on the cross. So what Paul says again to the Romans is he says, present your bodies then as a living sacrifice which is acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, not an act of worship, your spiritual worship. I thought worship was just music. Worship is a lifestyle. It is a redeemed heart living off the grace that it has received. There's nothing good in me Oh, but there's so much goodness in God. Paul says, one road is cursed. The righteous road gives you hope. One road pushes works. But here is the kicker to the whole thing. Look at verse 13 as we close up this passage. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Here comes scripture. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree so that in Jesus Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, praise the Lord, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. You have what Old Testament people long for, that's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have what the greats of the Old Testament would have loved to have had. The indwelling, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Man, Old Testament people, Abraham, Moses, David, would have longed to have a relationship with God like you do. And we look at God and we spit in his face because we say our ways are better than your ways. We do it every day. And it's disgraceful. We don't live like children of the king. I don't. Maybe you're doing better than I am. Maybe this is my own personal conviction. But here's what the greatest part of this passage is. And, And I know it feels like the hammer of condemnation is coming down on you. But here's the thing. Paul says if there was one reason to take the righteous road, it's because Christ already took the cursed one for you. He's like, you already walked down that path. But here's the kicker. The cross of Christ is sufficient for the entire world, but it's only efficient for those who would believe in him. And Paul states, Deuteronomy 21, verse 23, and he shows how Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He became a curse for us. Now watch this. He says, look, look how Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law. First thing, he became a curse. And Paul uses the word redeemed. You can circle that in the text, meaning to buy a person out of slavery, which was a costly process. So you're just put this image in your head. You're walking down the road of rejection, of despair, of all these things. Jesus comes walking down that road, grabs you by the back of your neck, and is like, hey, I don't think this is good. And you have a choice on whom you will serve, right? That sounds biblical. Choose now whom you will serve. And you look back at Jesus and you say, Why should I believe you? Give me one reason. He's like, Because I've been there, I've been down that road, I was a curse. I want to pull you out of slavery. It was a costly process. There was a pay a price that needed to be paid for you to walk on the blessed road, and that's what Christ did. He redeemed us, all who believed, Jew or Gentile, by being a proper propitiation, which just means sacrifice or a curse for us. He didn't have to, but he allowed himself to. And then watch this. He hung on a cross, which is a tree, which signified to the Jews that there was a person who had been truly cursed and separated from God. Now, you might not understand that. If you're, if, if you're kind of new to the Bible, you're probably looking at this and you're like, I don't understand this tree thing. Like, what's up with trees? Well, let me just walk you through real quick why, why a tree is important. You go uh, to cursing and blessing associated with trees is all throughout Scripture. It starts in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve eat from the fruit of a wicked smart." from which they were forbidden to eat. Revelation 22, verse 14, the eternal state of those believers eat from a tree. you got a tree in Genesis, you got a tree in Revelation, and you got a tree in the middle of the text, which Jesus hangs on. It's so important because a tree was involved in the entry of sin into humanity through the garden. It is the answer to sin for humanity through the cross, and it is the ultimate removal of sin in eternity through the tree of life. God loves symbolisms. At the cross, the curse of the law was transferred from sinful humanity to the sinless Son of God. And what's happening here is Paul saying, Christ already took the cursed road so that you would be able to walk a blessed one. So, I told you, I was, I, was, I was going to open this up. I'm going to show you, okay, all the stuff at the beginning. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're walking down a cursed path. Because you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ. You need to repent of your sin, come to a relationship with Jesus, live accordingly. A little blue bookmark in front of your pews, go for it. If you're at home and you don't have a little a pew in front of you, email me. I'll hit you up, okay? Actually, it's on our website. But here's the, here's the problem. Paul writes to Gentile believers, people who knew Jesus. And the problem with the Gentile believers is this. We're walking in a relationship with Jesus. Things get rocky. Things get rough. You start to look at the secular world and think that it can sanctify you and set you apart. That's the problem. Your eyes have wandered away from the things of the Lord, and it's wandered to the things of this world. And Peter tells us so clearly, for you know that it was not with perishable things that are going to fade away that the world has to offer like silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty ways of life. It's handed down for you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish and defect, you are saved. So stop living off the redeemed things that aren't the redeemed things of this world and start living underneath the redeemed blood of Jesus Christ. Here's the kicker to the whole statement. Could you just please start acting like Jesus? Because the more you act like Jesus... The more the things of this world fade away, the more the things of this world fade away, the more that we become like Christ, and the more the world wants that. And the world doesn't want us right now because we don't look like Jesus, church. We don't look like him. We don't talk like him. We don't conduct ourselves like him. We look like they look. And Jesus says, I clothe you in righteousness. Why do you keep going back to the corpse and putting it on your body? Maybe I'm just preaching to me, all right? It is as if Christ stands in front of us right now and he's saying, I already took that road. But God, it's a huge boat. It's a beautiful car. It's a new job. She's going to be a better wife. Stay with your spouse. Are you tracking? We we leave the things of the word for the things of the world. And Jesus is like, why? Why? I already took that path for you. Stop. Think about what you're getting yourself into. It's as if Jesus is standing there and he's like, please, please, for the love of God, don't go down that path. Please, I already did it for you. How many of us who are parents do that? Our kids go make decisions and they make all these choices we're like, if you only knew what you're doing to yourself, would you please not do that? And they put their hand on the door and they open the door and they leave the house and you're crying tears and Jesus looks at us all and he says, I do that to you every day. That's the problem. That's where Paul's living at right here at Galatians. He's like, you've got to see what God has done for you and live accordingly. To take the road of works is to walk By the cross of Christ, saying that your way is better. Why? Why? Why would be be so foolish to take a cursed road when the blessed one is walked with Jesus? Because here's the kicker to the whole thing, and then I'm out your way. Is that Jesus doesn't just say, You walk down the blessed road by yourself. He says, I'll walk with you every step of the way. Cursed road, you go at it alone. Already been down there, not good. Blessed road, take my hand. Precious Lord lead me on. Amen? All right, let's pray. Word, it's your truth. We we either we either love it and live by it, or we hate it and we detest it. And so now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, convict us and and Help us to to put into action, right, some application. You don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Today's Redemption Day. Come to a relationship with God through faith in Christ. Lord, convict the hearts of the people, whether they're in this place or listening online, that they need to know you as Lord and Savior. May they confess with their mouth their sin, their shortcoming, trust in the name of Jesus Christ, the risen Savior who's ruling and reigning, May they come to know you as Lord and Savior today. If that's you, it's simple. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe he rose from the dead. I want a relationship with the living God through faith. God, so many of us have done that, though. We call ourselves Christians to the world. We call ourselves believers. We call ourselves followers of the way, the truth, and the life. We don't live like Jesus. And I'm just going to put myself uh, first before anybody else. I'm sorry the ways I don't look like you in this life. God, I ask for your forgiveness, for your restoration, for your mercy. I pray, God, that you would help me to see who I am in Jesus, more than conquerors, a son of the most high God, chosen, blessed, and God, I don't pray that just for myself. I pray that for your church. Not just the church gathered here, the church gathering around the world. And we would start to see ourselves as who we really truly are, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And may the word of our testimony scream out. May our lives be so radically different. God, uh, remove our fleshly fingers off of these world's objects. Pull it, pry our fingers, do whatever you have to do, God. To eliminate worldliness. Whatever you need to do to eliminate us and and our, our shortcoming. And then open our eyes, peel back our eyes, open our ears so that we can see who we really truly are. And may we live on mission. God, help us to see that our workplace is a mission field, our home is a mission field, our friendships are a mission field, our church even is a mission field. That we would see who we really truly are and live in light and eternity. And then, God, I've been praying this all week. Will you come back soon? Redeem your church. Redeem Israel. Redeem, think, put things back the way they need to be. And while we wait, and while we long, and while we plead, help us to be more like your son, Jesus. For everything else we need to pray, God, I pray that the Holy Spirit intercede on our behalf. Speak to us now as we Sit back and contemplate some of the words in the text. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.